You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. On the show today, I have special guest, Stan Van Etten. He was the editor of Hunting and Fishing Collectibles Magazine for the past 20 years. Welcome to the show, Stan. How are you today? Well, fine. Glad to glad to have an opportunity to talk about the magazine. So before we get into the magazine, um, which was your past 20 years, before that, though, you've had multiple careers. It was your retirement career. So let's talk about those years prior to the magazine and how that led up to getting into the magazine. So yeah, kind of give us a little backstory there. Well, it's it's a kind of an interesting story and a, a bit of a long one. <laughs> but when I grew up in Midwest in Illinois, and uh, my dad was a, a college professor there at Western Illinois University. So, grew, uh, growing up in the Midwest, and I uh, after I, after high school and college, I went to the University of Chicago and uh, got a couple of graduate degrees there. My my interest was, you know, uh, sort sort of in history and also in in literature, primarily literature, I guess. So uh, then, uh, after that, I transitioned to. Uh, Auburn University uh, for about eight years in, in Auburn, Alabama. And then uh, after uh, a kind of a tenure there at Auburn University, um, I migrated to Florida. Auburn University in Alabama is not, not that many hours away from Panama City Beach, Florida, on, in the Panhandle area. We, en- we ended up there for a, for a good while. Uh, I was a, a department head at the, at the State Community College there in uh, the uh, literature and language arts area. Finally, after uh, more than 20 years in the in the cla- uh, university classroom, I wearied a little bit of uh, of grading papers, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. But uh, over those years, I had uh, come in contact with college uh, publisher sales reps, and they would come by on a regular basis to to tell the college faculty and all of the schools around the country what was new and best and greatest. For from their publishing house, and um, I, I had made friendships with some of the the college uh, publisher reps, sales reps, and uh, having finally grown a little bit weary of grading freshman essays and one thing and another, uh, the idea of being a, a sales rep and a, and a field editor for uh, for McGraw Hill Publishing Company, uh, it had a lot of appeal, and um, so uh, we moved to New England, and uh, and uh, for the next. Uh, um, almost eight years, I was a field editor and college uh, textbook sales rep for for McGraw Hill out of New York. Uh, long story short, that involved uh, the next transition was 
to uh, move from New England back to the South, where uh, our family, our grown boys, our grown sons were, uh, we settled in North Carolina. Interestingly, <laughs> that's that's where the that's where the decoy uh, interest came from. It's kind of a bit of a story in its in itself. M- my wife and I had always been weekend antiquers, and uh, we we were interested in early American stuff. And but but just you know we that was kind of recreation every other weekend or so we'd jump in the car and go go teakin and it happened that at, at, at this point in time in north carolina there was a, a new decoy uh wildfowl museum uh, that was being created and um we got involved we got involved with that we went down to see what it was all about and um of course the fact that it was antique decoys uh intrigued us but i had never in my entire life thought about uh collecting wooden ducks um i really hadn't <laughs> no we'd collected a lot of other things that were uh anyhow got we got involved with the 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 building and organizing of the new decoy museum there in core sound uh north carolina uh i i was intrigued by the by the historical decoys that they had in the museum uh, there and um, really, really had a lot of uh, I had a lot of interest in that and and uh, but as the, the more I the more I learned about the old decoys that had been made uh, made there uh, in that area and and used by hunters who came down the East Coast uh, to a, a lot of different hunt clubs down there on the Atlantic seaboard. Uh, the, the more I uh, thought about that, I, 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 there was one magazine at the time called Decoy Magazine. It's still it's still in operation. Uh, I, so I, I ordered all the the back issues of uh, the past issues of Decoy Magazine, and and uh, that was quite a few. That was a big box, <laughs> more than one box. As I studied and read through these uh, these uh, back issues of decoy magazine uh, I really became intrigued and uh, but having been in the book business so to speak with McGraw Hill for eight seven eight years I thought to myself hmm this is a really interesting magazine but I wonder I wonder if there's a magazine out there that covers more than just decoys what why 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 isn't there a magazine out there that covers all the collectibles all the old historic artifacts that had to do with America's passion for hunting and fishing. And uh, so I looked around and did my research. And sure enough, there wasn't any such magazine. There are a lot of sporting magazines, a lot of magazines that cover uh, fishing and hunting articles, that sort of thing, and and products. But uh, I could not discover a single magazine that focused on the actual artifacts from, from the hunting and fishing tradition in America. So long story short, I I launched a magazine (laughs) whose uh, uh, central purpose was to record the history, both in print and in photos and pictures, to to preserve the history of uh, American uh, hunting and fishing. And uh, so the magazine, you know, uh, our first issue was at the beginning of, of... Yeah, 2000, right? Yeah. Yeah, we launched it in beginning of 2000, and then uh, concluded with our last issue, the December issue of 20 uh, of 2020. So we did the 20 year plan that <laughs> I, we I initially had in in mind. Oh, really? I didn't realize you had a 20 year plan in mind when you started. So let's talk about those 
beginning years of the magazine. Did you have a goal in mind for the magazine at first and it, did it evolve over time or how did you expect it to, to go yeah, in the beginning? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, I did. I, I, I very much did have a, a goal in mind. I was interested in two things. I was interested, you know, in the antiques, in the artifacts, the the old hundred-year-old decoys and, and what have you. I was interested in that, but I was also interested in more than just the artifacts. You know, I didn't just want to buy a bunch of old decoys and put them on the shelf and say, well, yeah, those are interesting. They're pretty. I wanted to know the story because old decoys, like old anything else, uh, have a story and uh, they have a history. And this was kind of, uh, um, you know, Decoy magazine had had touched, uh, uh, you know, for a number of years on on that very thing, the, the decoy itself, and 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 the decoy's history. Who made it? When was it made? Why is it different from somebody else's decoy? You know. But the thing was, the thing about uh, the Decoy magazine was that decoys was basically all they covered. It was all the magazine covered. Everything was about decoys and. And I, I was interested in a, in creating a magazine that had not only the artifacts and the history of the artifacts with regard to decoys, but I was interested in all the other things that, that went along with American history of fishing and sporting, which would get into um, spear fishing, for example, up in the North Country, the, the, the decoys, the fish decoys that were made for, for ice fishing, and the whole, the whole realm of, of fishing generally you know, from dry fly, wet fly, all kinds of, of fly fishing and, and just, you know, the, 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 bam, the split bam, bamboo poles that were made for the fly fishing uh, folks so, and the stories behind behind those. Uh, and, you know, it was just a matter of, of wanting to discover the artifacts, um, have somebody, uh, you know, write an article about, about them, but also record uh, the history. Who owned it? You you know, and uh, outdoor sports in America has a great grand tradition. You know, I mean, you know, there have been the Northeast, the the Northwoods, the Midwest, the the different you know bird flying patterns and and migration patterns. You know, there were all these other other things that went into uh, the story of America's hunting and fishing past that that I wanted to to, to cover and to preserve the history. Well. What happened was that uh, when we published the first issue, I had a, a, a table of contents that was kind of a potpourri of, that touched on all these, these different things and made very clear to the readers that this was going to be a magazine that covered not only the uh, hunting and fishing artifacts, from f fishing reels to guns and all, all of that stuff. So long story short, after, um, after we launched the magazine, I had put out a, a fairly significant bit of advertising for you know the upcoming you know launch of this magazine in fact one of the first key ads that i ever ran was a i think a half page ad in ducks unlimited and uh, <laughs> i need to go back and, and look for it yeah 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 <laughs> and uh you know it seems to me if, if i recall i just wanted to get it out get the information out there to to the sport 
supporting world people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because of my, my involvement with the Decoy Museum here in North Carolina, anyway, I, I came up with, I, I consulted with a bunch of folks and they said, well, put an ad in, you know, on Ducks Unlimited. And uh, so I did. It was, a, it was a little pricey at the time, <laughs> but we got a, we got a strong response from, from that ad and from uh, several other ads that we placed. And I, I guess we had, I don't know, we probably had three or 400 subscribers, you know, before the uh, first issue came oh, out. Wow. I remember uh, at a, an auction, one of the large national decoy auctions, especially in the Northeast, we were there on the coast of Maine at that auction and uh, we had flyers put out on the on the coffee tables and stuff at the resort there. And we, we were sitting there and nobody knew who we were, you know, my wife and I were just there kind of observing, but there were a lot of people that picked up the flyer that we had on these coffee tables and they'd look at each other and say, hmm, you know, uh, that'll never go. Uh, guess what? It did. It did, yeah. <laughs> and so we had, uh, after the first issue got out, there was a big show in the Milwaukee area and and uh, we flew up there with three or four boxes of the, the first uh, issue and it went, it disappeared like hotcakes and, uh, and the response was just overwhelmingly positive and so I guess, you know, by the third issue or so we had, you know, had probably had 1500 subscribers or something like that. I th- I think, you know, uh, then, and, but the thing the thing is that uh the subscribers were, you know, they knew what they were subscribing to. They uh, they knew a friend who'd had a, got a copy or, you know, one way or another, they knew what they were buying into. And uh the great thing is that for the 20 years that we published it, uh you know, we we didn't lose virtually anybody, you know, and and in fact it it, it continued to grow because because you know they were these were people who talked to each other you know they belonged to local decoy clubs or collecting groups or or what have you in that first issue did you primarily write it or when did you start gathering right you know outside writers and how did that all begin yeah great great question well you know there wouldn't have been much of a magazine if i'd had to write the articles especially in the in you know that changed during the 20 years by the time i was into my about you know fourth year so oh i had a lot to say Uh, in those in those early first years, I you know I was totally dependent on contributing writers, you know. But it didn't take long, you know. It didn't take long after the word was out that uh, Stan's doing a, a magazine that's right down our alley. Here's our chance to write about what Grandpa's decoys looked like, or why he liked them so much, or this, you know the hobby, the collecting hobby of for for decoys, you know, is a really in touch, stay in touch group. And so long story short, in the 20 years, I I think I made a small payment for three or four articles early on in the first couple of issues. But after that, we didn't pay a dollar for any of the the articles. And we had a a, a stable of writers that for the 20 years, some of the the folks wrote maybe 20 articles, uh, you know, some of them wrote more than that. Sometimes, depending on the subject or the topic or, or the decoy, Carver involved, whatever. There were some issues in the magazine where maybe there were two articles by the same by the same writer, but they weren't interested in being paid. I'm sure they would <laughs> taken a check. But, they just wanted to be heard. <laughs> but they they just wanted they just wanted the, the the key phrase and through all of that was preserve history. I have a. You and your dog are a team. 
Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Question, I didn't think about this earlier, but you're talking about because you're beginning and you're also beginning learning about decoys and the history behind them. So what? how did you handle fact-checking in those early days? Did you just trust your sources or like... I mean, towards the end, it would have been a different story, especially if you got to know your contributing writers. But in those first years, how did you handle that? That's a, that's a good question. And um, it's like I was saying, it's a, a really a tight-knit community. And I probably had what amounted to a board of of scholars or, or what, whatever you want to call it. You know, I probably had a dozen people that just right away stepped up and stepped forward and, and said, we want to help any way we can. We want to write some articles for you. But we're we're here if you've got a question about an article that's been submitted or something like that. Based on my having bought all the old back issues of a Decoy magazine, I I'd probably spent before I actually launched the magazine, I'd probably spent the best part of a year, I guess, reading the through through the the, the back issues of Decoy magazine, and you, you'd see na- writer author names that just kept recurring issue after issue, you know, or or several times during a year, and so so I. You know, although I didn't know these people personally, I, I, I did, of course, after once once we got going with the magazine. But but I recognized names, and the, these folks were just generous beyond belief with wanting to share the information and the history that that they had. And there were, in fact, over the 20 years, there there were a couple of occasions where somebody was sending articles in on contemporary a contemporary carver or two, or uh, and they they were doing the article on this this whoever whoever it was and they were they were asking the person that they were doing the article on uh, who who in most cases was a carver uh, for uh, three or four sample birds of their carving. This didn't happen early on, but it, d- it did actually happen a-, a couple of times. And and I, re- I found out it was happening because a good fr- a person who'd become a good friend called me and he said, hey, Stan, uh, I just wanted to check something with you. I, I've, I've, you know, so-and-so is doing an article on, on my carving and he wants uh, two of this, this kind of duck and one of this other kind of duck and uh, he wants to afford uh, my carvings to pay for the getting the article in. And he says, I, I, is that is that your policy? And I said, God, no, you know, no, that's not our policy. <laughs> that's sneaky. And, uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, so that was a wake up call. And but I, you know, I wouldn't want to overstress that because that only happened a couple of in, right, in a yeah. couple of cases. But, but it allowed me to um, it allowed me to, to 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 contact the carver. And, you know, and, and I didn't just say no I, on, on a phone call. I, I talked to the, the carver at length and I was just flabbergasted that, <laughs> that that was happening. 
but um but you know it it uh, it was a it was a quick study um by because i had that background you know with with looking at i don't know how many years but a, a bunch of years of back issues of decoy magazine and it's um it's a you know the collecting of decoys is a kind of a fraternity sort of thing and and uh <clears throat> you better be careful what you say about somebody cuz that somebody probably going <laughs> to no it's true and you know i use your issues i mean decoy as well but i use i have a whole backlog of your issues and i use them for this podcast and for yeah. exhibits i mean whenever i'm doing anything or any of our little videos i go through you sent me that handy little excel sheet which now i can do it faster but um oh, yeah. i go through and i find every article written on the topic and yeah and do my research <laughs> And you know, you know what's really interesting, especially with some of those really old decoy magazines, is you can go back and you can see those very first articles on, you know, say a certain carver. And then you go and I usually try to start at the beginning and work my way up because you can find yeah. where opinion has changed over time. And it's it's interesting oh, to yeah. watch that happen. And you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this particular case, but uh, there's been uh, during the 20 years that I, that I did the magazine, there there uh, there's been this huge controversy over what they call the Bowman Bun. I'm sure you're, you've run across articles articles on that both sides of the uh, argument are you know they're they're passionate about thinking that it was Bowman or it was Bun but and I have my own opinion about that but we we ran several issues over the years um that that addressed the Bowman Bun controversy and but uh, I think it's a pretty clear-cut decision but there's some there's some strong feelings out there in certain certain places certain groups yeah I'm interviewing um Corey in a couple of weeks Corey Rogers. So, yeah, I need to go back and look at your issues for that one. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll send you those issues that had those articles in. There were about five issues scattered scattered through the years. It is an interesting topic. I'm excited. Yeah, it's. A, I don't want to. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. There was another one I can't remember. Oh, I was looking at. Um, the Evans stuff and how the opinion has changed on Evans decoys over the years as well. And that was really interesting how it's, you know, almost gotten smaller rather than larger. Oh yeah. Yeah. It really, you know, you know, and there, there've been issues like, um, where, you know, you're, you're familiar with the idea of, uh, of the lathe that can, can do the, the decoy, you know, you have a, a model, a model decoy, and you, you know how that works with the the power lathe t turning them out. Yeah, go ahead and explain it, though. Maybe our listeners don't exactly know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, you know, there's a there's a a, a, a wood shop uh, tool called a lathe, and uh, a lot of people uh, they know what a lathe is, but they they probably haven't thought about it in terms of uh, decoy carving. But if you have a model uh, of that you want to reproduce, um, you know, you you put Put it on this lathe machine that has a kind of a spindle on both ends of the of the decoy or whatever it is you're trying to make a copy of, and um, and you you use a, a, a cutting blade sort of like a chisel of sorts, and and you you, you turn on the switch and the, the the whatever the wood you're carving goes round and round, and you 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 cause the you direct the the cutting edge uh, by 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 putting this little pointer thing on the on the the artifact that you're 
copying. And uh, long story short, nothing wrong with that, but uh, it's not a hand-carved decoy. And and the thing and the thing too, the factor too is that that a a, a decoy that was turned out on a lathe very often, um, and, you know, there there ends up being a hundred or five hundred of those decoys made, and uh, they're all you know made with a. Uh, a copying lathe and uh, so you know but you know but then a lot of things could happen then it could they could be painted just in a routine factory sort of quick paint job deal um which makes them worth almost nothing but or they could be painted by a professional uh painter or you know there's any number of different kinds of stories that could you know but but historically uh, there have been, there were at some point in time a lot of a lot of factory made decoys and and uh and uh, that were you know made from a copy lathe and uh that was okay for you know if you're just buying this decoy to um to go you know toss in the water and shoot ducks when they come when they fly over uh there's nothing wrong with that um in any case but uh it it, it complicated the, the world for decoy collectors because you know some some decoys were being sold out there as if they had been made by a particular Carver or something, you know, and and uh, and anyway, you, you you can see the implications that could come come from that. But uh, I, you know, that the 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 hobby, the collectors these days are pretty sophisticated, uh, and uh, of course the prices, um, you know, uh, kind of demand that people who are paying you know very high prices are going to know what they're buying. And uh, if if the individual doesn't know on on his or her own part, you know, there, there are plenty of people out there. Be glad to tell them. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> so um, over your time, like we talked about the contributing writers, and I know you're a collector as well, so which we talked about a little bit. How had the magazine? Uh, those relationships affected your personal life and as well as your personal collection? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, um, we've gone, you know, as I said back early on, we, Deb and I have been collectors of a lot of things for a long time, but uh, the, the, uh, the, the decoy, the interest in decoys and the fact that really the, the interest was not only personal but professional with the magazine, we've been to a lot of, a lot of places, uh, a lot of antique shops and where we probably wouldn't have gone before. Just a quick example: uh, Lake Koshnagong up in uh, uh, in uh, Wisconsin uh, has a great history of of, of uh, decoy hunting, and uh, um, there was an early period, though, in the 1800s, where a lot of um, the wealthy sports, you know, the term, um, you know, wealthy people who, you know, just followed, followed their passion and went duck hunting one place and pheasant hunting somewhere else. And, you know, and, and, uh, so the, but, but this area in the, the Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, area just was, uh, uh, there uh, because of the Midwest flyway, I suppose, you know, in large part, but anyway, it was a great hunting, uh, duck hunting area. And, uh, 
And uh, so this Lake Koshkenang, uh, I'll send you a copy of that magazine too. Um, uh, they, when people began to collect decoys 50 years ago, 75 years ago, um, when they began to collect decoys for, for decoys' sake and not worried about hunting them but collecting the decoys, um, they, they, they discovered a lot, of, a lot of decoys that looked an awful lot like Upper Chesapeake Bay decoys and uh and uh northeastern decoys and um the the more the the collectors up in the upper midwest um uh, became aware of you know how come these decoys over here in minnesota and and upper wisconsin minnesota uh how come how come they look so much like the decoys that that have been discovered over in the upper chesapeake bay area well <laughs> the deal was it turned out that that uh, the 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 hunters and the sports who came uh, from the from the northeast, uh, they did a lot of hunting in um, in the upper Chesapeake area, and but they also they also did a lot of hunting over in the upper Midwest in uh, Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin and um, and Michigan and and um, and so these same people, these same wealthy sports that that uh, you know had hundred decoys that were made in the Chesapeake Bay area, they took they took a, a batch of those same decoys and went to the upper Midwest when that got to be a popular place. And so so these decoys, just because you found them in the, the Lake Koshkanon area, didn't mean that's where they were made. It just meant that the, the rich sports who came from New England, who had been, you know, using decoys that made from, from the upper Chesapeake Bay area, it, it just, you know, decoys travel. If if the guy who owns them travels, they travel. <laughs> yeah. So why would they have gone to hunt there from that location, like from the northeast? Like why would they have gone? Well, that area. Um, that's probably you know a, a long a long story, but but it, it, the fact is that once again this kind of fraternal thing, you know, there were certain pla- you know like people used to go to the Catskills, uh, right. cats yeah, from right. New York and and Boston went to the Catskills, and then they went to the Adirondacks, and they and they built summer homes there, you know, and and it was just a matter I think of you know it, they weren't there were some of those same guys came down the coast uh, the the Atlantic Seaboard and this Corsan Museum down there in uh, in North Carolina that I was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, uh, the the decoys moved around with these guys who just well, where we go this? Where should we go this fall, guys? Let's go to let's go down the Atlantic coast. Let's go down to um, you know the North Carolina uh, coast. And so they so the decoys traveled just because it, you know when somebody mail ordered a, a decoy from somewhere they, these. These guys had dozens and, 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 you know, probably more than uh, maybe they had 150 decoys and, and, and there were five guys in the hunting party and they, well, well let's go to Lake Koshkinong over in, uh, in upper Midwest this, this, this time. And so, but anyway, we did a series of articles on that, but there are several people who are really, they know the whole history of that and they know who, who they even know who made the decoys and which ones were, but, but, you know, the, the, the underside, the flip side of that coin is that during this same period, 
period, there were all kinds of carvers in, in, in that upper Midwest area itself who were making decoys, but they looked entirely different. Those decoys looked entirely different from the ones that, that these guys brought, you know, from the upper Chesapeake Bay area. And uh, so, you know, it's just uh, uh, what, I, what I was really going to tell you, I think your question was about <laughs> an, collecting antiques myself. Yes, decoys myself. yes, yes. Uh, so here, here we are in central North Carolina. And 100 miles down the coast, um, and uh, to, to the Decoy Museum. But somewhere in between there is uh, is uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and and uh, I go in a I walk in an antique shop there, not not knowing that, not even expecting to find a decoy there. But I walk in there, and in this little dark corner of one one room in the in the antique mall, here's this old decoy sitting up there on a on a shelf, you know, just looking sad as hell. And uh, and I I pull it off the shelf and look at it and I say hmm I don't know I don't know don't know where that where that came from but it had a big brand on it a big incised brand said uh, hoard H O A R D all in all in large caps carved carved in into into the bottom of the decoy H O A R D I had no idea what that meant I figured it meant a guy's name um, but I didn't know but anyway so several years go by I, I keep I kept it I showed it to a few people at some of the national regional shows and they didn't know and um, and then this this guy one of the, one of the collectors from that uh, Koshkanong Lake area uh, and I are talking he's, he's submitting a, a couple of articles on the history of de- of duck hunting and decoys in from the Lake Koshkanong area and um, and uh, I'm talking to him and he sends me a bunch of pictures for the article and and lo and behold, <laughs> one of the major major hotels on that lake on that lake um was the horde hotel h o a r d and uh, so you know it was it was a high end kind of uh, hotel place and they they supplied uh, decoys for the for the rich sports who came out there to hunt and uh so so this was one of the of the local type uh, decoys, as opposed to the Upper Chesapeake area, and uh, and it was one that was that the Horde Hotel had, you know, that was a hundred years old, and and uh, so suddenly, suddenly, you know, this guy calls in, this writer calls in to do an article or two. It turned out to be a three article series, but uh, but he, uh, you know, here 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 it was, bam, all at once. And I said, several people that that shows when I taking that around different shows because I wanted to find out what, what it was, where it come from and, uh, had, had wanted to buy it from me, but I, I didn't want to sell it because I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to know what it was first. And so my, my hanging on to it paid off because now here, here it was. And, you know, not that many of those that are, that are marked like that with a hand carved. The, 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 the word, the letters H O A R D are probably, uh, an inch and a half tall, you know, it's, and then they're deeply incised with a jackknife, you know, or something. I didn't know hotels had uh, decoys. Makes sense. Like, they, they at certain times of the year, they're almost like resorts for hunters in that time period. So, it makes yeah. perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have one, I have one decoy um, that came up in a, um, a guy at Indeeder uh, auction. They're one of the largest, if not the largest, decoy um, you know, auction house. And, uh, I have, um, I have one, one decoy that I got, at, I, I was able to get it out of one of their auction sales that, uh, is marked on the bottom. It has a 
Carver's initials, but I've never been able to figure those out. But but it has an incised brand on the bottom of the of the decoy that says NYC and then an ampersand, the hand and sign says um, New York Central and Hudson River Railroad. How's that for a mouthful on a brand? Uh, so so NYC. Uh, amp and New York. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, New York Central and um, and um, Hudson River Railroad. Hudson River, you know, was of course merged into the New York Central after after a while. But 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 it, but so you know, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, why would a railroad? Why would a railroad um, have decoy? Would decoys? What, what, why would the New York Central and Hudson River Railroad want to have decoys? Well, because they did a hell of a business of with these fat cat sports who traveled around uh, to different locations um you know um they would rent two or three cars with a express train and next thing they know they were not in new york or boston or baltimore they were um you know they were somewhere on the new york central and hudson river railroad property and my guess, i don't i can't prove this but but why else would a would a decoy be branded with the railroad you know on the bottom well the answer is that these guys they did the railroads did a heck of a business with with uh, rich um hunters you know sport hunters and and uh uh and so I, my my guess is i'm i pretty well to take it to the bank i think that they they had they there were trains that were chartered you know for for groups of these guys and and i think that the probably the railroad company owned um some sporting lakes you know um hunting grounds i mean they, they the trains made the railroads made a pot of money from um from from those i I've done a couple of articles on that too, yeah, and, that's and interesting. Uh, you know, it, it was a common common kind of thing for a group of thirty or, or who knows how many uh, guys who knew each other, and they they, they said, "Let's go hunt this year in at uh, Lake So and So." It might have been in Michigan, it might have been in Minnesota, you know, who who knows where. I mean, you know, there's evidence of them going to North Carolina on the railroad for sure. So. Uh, before we go, uh, we wrap things up. Is there anything that you want to add or a story you want to tell or anything, you know, something that we hadn't talked about that we didn't get to that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, I, I you know, one of my favorite stories or I guess it's not a story. It's just a, it's a, it's kind of a position that I, that I have developed. And it is this, that, um, you know, auction houses today, uh, it's not unusual, um, you know, if it's a decoy auction, it's not unusual for them to have uh, half a dozen or more decoys that sell for six figures. And, um, and there are a whole lot of decoys in a, in a decoy auction from a major house that, that maybe have as many as 50 decoys that sell for, for several thousand dollars, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. So, you know, it's, um, um, it's, it's, a it's a serious, these people who collect who collect these historic artifacts it's it's a serious passion that they have and so with the 20 years of publishing the magazine what i've if i had one preachment to make it would be this that if you love old stuff and you have a passion for it you know 
it's not just because you want the item. It's not just because you want the artifact. Because you want the artifact because it is, in fact, great folk art. You want it because it is, it's, it's, it's a great thing in and of and by itself. But there's another reason. There are two reasons why you want it. And the second reason may be almost more important than the first, which is you want it because it has a great story and you want to know the story. And if there's one thing that, that Hunting and Fishing Collectibles Magazine did in its 20 years, it linked the, the artifact with its story. And I ran many articles of that pictured decoys and showed brands on the bottom or whatever. And guys, you know, I don't, I can't even guess how many times they would write or call me and say, hey, you know, I thought this decoy was from the Chesapeake area. Turns out it was made in Washington State. A guy out there called me and said, hey, I got a decoy just like yours, and I can tell you who made it. He just lives 30 miles from where I am out here in Washington State. So, you know, uh, decoys can can be – they have a story, and sometimes the story is really, really interesting. And, and um and it, you know, it, 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 without the story, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I knew Abe Lincoln, but nobody knew where he came from. You know, I mean, how silly. Why would you want to know Abe Lincoln if you didn't know anything about him? And and um, so, you know, the, the, we, we, you know, kind of the brand of, of our magazine in terms of focal, focal points was that there's the decoy, hurrah, and there's the story, double hurrah. And so, you know, that's one thing that that I would, you know, kind of like to underline or spotlight or something, you know, because it's not just collecting, you know, it's not just collecting another decoy. It's it's collecting a, a decoy that is worthy of 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 discovering uh, the story behind it. Yeah, and as a nonprofit um, sport about hunters, it's important to know where our history came from. And oh yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Very, very well said. Thank you, Stan. Um, thanks for coming yeah, on the show. You're um, how can people reach you if they want to get any back issues or anything like that? Yeah, great. Well, our our website. I've, we're we're continuing on with our website because we have we have available uh, issues from all the, all of the issues from the twenty years. And our 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 website is www.hfcollectibles.com. Oh, and, and let me give you my direct, the, the direct email, not just the website, but the direct email is hfcollectibles at aol.com. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Stan. It was fun. You bet. Thank you. Thanks to our special guest, Stan Van Etten. Thanks to our producer, Chris. And thanks to you, our listener, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. 
Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.